This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta and my guest today is Adam Alisi. Adam has spent his whole career in LA and on the back of a few key relationships has put together a solid resume of session experience including Mad Men, the Golden Globes and with legendary composer-arranger Mike Barone. He has some unique live gigs under his belt as well, including Disneyland and the nationally acclaimed Burbank High School Show Choir. He's also enjoyed a close relationship with Greg Bissonette. Adam studied with Greg in college and has been doing cartage and teching for Greg since then. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links to both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. Here's our own Matthew Krauss playing the 4x15 buyer snare. So it was great catching up with Adam, and afterwards I was reminded of what we're all told as young drummers, which is get proficient in as many styles as possible, have good time, have good taste, read your ass off, and you'll stay busy. I think Adam is a great example of all of that, and as a result, he's gotten in on a lot of what the LA scene has to offer. So let's get to it. Hope you dig Adam Alisi. You were helping out at the food bank? Yeah, basically they didn't have volunteer. They usually have volunteers come in, but because of COVID, they weren't bringing in volunteers. So then they basically went to friends and family and said, hey, do you want to come work for $15 an hour and do all sorts of random stuff? And since there was no work, I said, yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, I'd work for a week, like 40 hours and then have a week off. Cause she was also working at home every other week. Cause they had stripped the staff down to keep like distancing protocols in effect. Right. So, uh, we would go to work together one week and then have a week off and she'd be at home. So it looked um, like you were you were like uh, carrying uh, pallets of uh, you know cold cuts around on a forklift and like hucking huge bags of onions and we would uh, pull orders yeah for I mean they're a huge organization they distribute millions and millions of pounds of food every year um, and even at that time they were doing a, a weekly drive through distribution at the Honda Center you know mm-hmm. across from Angel Stadium yeah uh, where they were getting like forty five hundred cars a week like on a Saturday to drive through and, um, wow, big, big operations. Um, cause there's even in Orange County, you know, there's still quite a need for, uh, food assistance. Oh yeah. Like, you know, just, uh, it, it's kind of something I wanted to talk to you about, like the difference between, you know, Orange County and, and LA. Um, but you yeah, know, we, we both had expense, uh, extensive experience at Disneyland, um, right. it's in Orange County and, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Orange County has a, a reputation for being very sort of upper middle class and, and very white. Um, right. But there are a lot of communities, you know, a couple miles away from the beach uh, yeah. that, are, <laughs> that are not upper middle class and not white, uh, but still yeah, in it, Orange it, County. It's still in Orange County. It's interesting, too, because I see, uh, you know, there's parts of Anaheim. You know, I'm just in north of Anaheim in Fullerton, but there's parts of Anaheim that remind me of Van Nuys, you know, because yeah. I live not far from Van Nuys for many years. Yeah, man. And I'd be driving through and I see the strip mall and I'm like, wow, this looks just, <laughs> just yeah. like the valley. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, so uh, I mean, yeah, let's just start with, with where we're at here today. Like I'm, I'm in my studio, you're in yours. Um, yeah. and you know, a kind of a recurring segment on the podcast, uh, over the last few months has been, what are you doing in your studio? Like what tricks have you learned? What gear have you bought? How have you been, uh, you know, getting your home tracking game together? Cause everybody's in a different stage of that and everybody has right. sort of different, um, you know, tips about, oh, I found this out and this piece of gear is cool. And so, so what do you got going on right. there? So what have I got going on? Well, I, I feel lucky enough that I actually got a jump on the home studio game over a couple of years ago because um, I had some guys that approached me, hey, can you, we got some demos, can you do this? Uh, I had to say, no, I don't have a, a setup at home. Um, so that, that hurt a little bit because obviously you never want to say no to anybody who's trying to offer you some work. Right. So I finally got something together. Um I did a bunch of research. I talked to some other drummer friends of mine that were already kind of doing that um, process and, you know, tried to slowly put some stuff together. I went to the NAMM show, of course, every year and checked out, <laughs> <laughs> checked out, you know, what to check, you know, what I might need and rub, tried to rub shoulders. I actually got connected with Personas and I got some Personas um, interfaces and preamps to kind of start things off. Cool. Um, they were very cool. And I'm actually using Persona Studio One, their DAW software. Oh, which been, nice! Which has been really cool. I didn't realize there was a, a third option between Pro Tools oh, yeah. and, and Logic. <laughs> and Logic, yeah. Um, there's a, a, a number of them, I guess, or at least a handful. Right. So initially, I had the home studio going, and you know, we moved into our house about two and a half years ago, and I have my own room here. Obviously, you can see it here, um, but a lot of it. It kind of was on the back burner for a while because I was working at Disney pretty regularly and with other gigs. You know, occasionally something would come through the pipeline, um, and I'd try to do a couple things for fun. Um, but I'd say it wasn't really until the last, I don't know, year where I started to pick up some more projects and meet some other people that you know have been kind of feeding me some some work. Cool. So like a, a year ago, you started to get some traction, started to do some some projects and some work. And then six months ago, you were like, oh, holy shit, I got to kick it into high gear. <laughs> I got to kick it into high gear. And actually, and, and it's nice because I, I had some projects going, but it also kind of helped get my workflow going because I was um, still kind of hesitant with the software. I was getting my feet wet. I didn't really know how to do it all. I mean, I watched some YouTube tutorials. And, um, you know, but just learning by trial and error, mm -hmm. uh, doing things. But then it's like, oh, I've got this project that's got a deadline. Or, oh, this guy wants me to do like six songs for his project, you know, and he wants it done, you know, in five days or whatever. So just by doing it um, more, 
obviously I got more comfortable with the process. Right. Uh, so another, like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said, <clears throat> excuse me. Another, uh, I had been working with a church that I played at, uh, for a long time that was up in LA and all of a sudden their, all of their services went online, you know? So then it turned in, I think it was Easter was one of the first big, uh, sessions I did for them. And it was like all online. So it's like, okay, well, here it is. You got to do a good job. We had to do video too. So that I know another thing is <laughs> guys are trying to get their feet wet with that too. Yeah, yeah. Which is a uh, you know a process and more more gear and yep other software. So you mentioned like your your workflow in in your studio there and and whether yeah. it's sort of tech based or or just um, sound based. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what has been sort of the, the biggest hump for you to, to get over recently or, or what has been kind of a revelation that you had that, uh, that changed the game? Well, I figured out how to make a nice template for my, my sessions. Uh-huh. So whenever I fire up a session or if someone sends me tracks, I start with a basic, uh, you know, template that's already set. So I'm not starting from scratch, basically opening right. a session every time. Right. Um, I figured out how to do a little better file management. Okay. Know. Talk to me about this. Cause I'm, I'm just like, I'm, fu- I'm lost. And my well, I, computer's I, a mess. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm an ex, if the expert to talk, but generally I try to keep all my files on my external drive. Um, I have a couple external drives, but I have like my main, uh, drive where I keep my studio one files. They all record onto that drive. But when someone sends me, a project or if I download a folder that's got stems for a project, I will download it to my you know internal drive, but then transfer that over to my external drive before I drag those files into the DAW. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way it keeps, uh, it keeps my uh, internal drive, you know, a little bit cleaner. Right. Um, and then it basically everything is just saved on the external drive. Yeah. Again, yeah. I'm not I'm not the go-to expert about all that stuff. But. Right, and I know there's just there's a million ways to do it depending on, you know, how your brain works and and how you want to access your stuff on your computer, but I'm like I'm trying to figure out what the best way to do it is because like obviously logic, you know, saves everything in logic. I have a I have an iMac, fortunately, it's a huge hard drive. I'm not pressed for space. Um, but then like if I, you know, if I bounce an MP3 or a wave to send somebody, um, you know, where do I store that? Should it be on a desktop folder or in my downloads folder, like on an external it's, you know, so I've got like a bunch of different things in a bunch of different places right now and it's not serving me. Um, but maybe going just kind of the, having the external being, be the, <laughs> be the music hard drive. <laughs> I, I know, I know the way mine is set up, and I, I guess it's a default. Or I don't know if other DAWs do this, but like, if I export in Studio One, each project has its own folder. Like, I create a song, you know, everything goes into that. There's subfolders. So if you export like a mix down, the mix downs in that folder in that project file. Mm-hmm. Or if you export your stems, they're always in that file. So I always know to like, well, if I can go to the external drive find the project file, double click that folder and then it opens up and there's like four folders inside there where there's the actual like song project file. And then there's like all the other things you, you know, you have right. multiple bounces or, diff- or different types of mixes you did. 
Um, There's probably somebody listening right now or a bunch of people screaming at me like, Zach, Logic does the exact same fucking thing. Or it's it's very easy to make Logic do the same thing, but I'm, right. I'm just, I'm still not, I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I figured well, out no, the basics I... of tracking and now I have to figure out the basics of file management. Well, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. And, and then on the other hand, there's guys that have been doing this for a really long time and they're probably listening to this going like, I can't believe they do it that way. Why, they should do it this way. <laughs> what are they thinking? Right, right. Um, um, so what about, what about your sounds in there? Like, uh, how have you, how have you discovered some, uh, some new stuff in your room as, as you've, cause you've been in that house two years. Yeah. Uh, about two and a half years. Yeah. And it's the smallest room in the house. I don't know the rough measurements. It's maybe like nine by 11, nine by 12. It's probably about the same as mine. It's like a kind of average smallish bedroom size, right? It's, it's the smallest bedroom. Um, <clears throat> I've got it baffled up pretty good. Um, I found some giant baffles when we moved in here that some guy had made hmm. and I had them, uh, they kind of go across the windows. So I'm trying to keep out some of the sound. It's not totally soundproof, but I have a family too. So I'm not playing, uh, at all hours of the night. Right. Um, and, uh, but I got it kind of deadened down in here. And then as far as the drums go, I have a kind of all purpose kit that I keep set up in here. Mm hmm. You know, 22 kick. I usually have between two and three or four toms. Um, and for the most of the stuff that I've been doing, it's pretty, um, you know, I'm close spiking everything. Got a pair of overheads and typical top, bottom snare, tom mics, kick, kick out. I've experimented with the room mic, but like I said, the room's not very live and it's pretty small, so I don't haven't gotten a big, a good room sound, I guess you could say. Right. Right. Um, again, I'm still learning engineering. Um, it's, it's, I have lots of engineer friends and I've been to lots of studios and done sessions, but it's totally different when <clears throat> it's all in one room, you know, yeah. that, that's another, another hurdle that I actually had was, you know, if you go into a studio session and there's an engineer they're sitting on the other side of the gl glass and say, oh, your tom sounds wonky or this symbol's uh, ringing funny or, you know, let's let's swap that out. It's really hard to do when it's all you. Yeah. Because you have to basically do it by trial and error. You have to record right. and, and you listen back. Get up and sit down and get up and, and sit down. get up down. and sit down. Yeah, yeah. My friend Giuliano, like when I first, uh, you know, embarked on this endeavor, uh, my friend Giuliano was like, you know, being the drummer and the engineer on a session is perhaps the least efficient way yeah. to do this. Like, <laughs> yeah, but we're all having to do it now. And, um, so yeah, yeah actually and another bonus, I, I, maybe logic has this, I know studio one, uh, they have an iPad app, so I've finally gotten really good with that as well. Oh, so now, see, I should look into way, this. It's, I never even my, thought of that. Yeah, the way my drums and my desk, studio desk are situated, they're really not like, it's not like I can just spin around and I'm at the desk. And I've tried, I've set my room up so many different ways. Yeah. Um, but they have this iPad app, it's free, and I can do it for checking levels and adjusting levels um, and starting and stopping and scrolling through the projects. And it's big time help. Right. See, this is big another time. this is another example of like a super obvious shortest distance between two points solution for a problem that I have that I don't know about, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, 
I, I, I think Logic has something like that. They I, must. I I, they, they must, I, but yeah. I actually just got Logic too, but I've used it once, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're comfortable with, you know, your, uh, your PreSonus thing, yeah, that's another it, thing. Like, I don't feel the need to kind of get really fluent in all of them or even, even mess with any of the other ones uh, right now or ever. You know, just get comfortable in something and make that yeah. part of your workflow. I know a lot of guys use Pro Tools. I know they say it's industry standard, but, you know, guys like Aaron Sterling, he uses Logic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not uh, super up on what industry standards are in, in the recording industry, but it seems to me that Logic is becoming just as standard as Pro Tools. Um, yeah. You know, with the democratization yeah. of home of, of, of recording music. Um, so what about, um, before we move on for your small room and my small room? So you, like you haven't, you haven't tried messing with a room mic. I I do. I have, um, I had actually just upgraded some overheads. So I had my old overheads, which was, uh, AKG, uh, 214s, which I was using before. So I've got an extra pair of those. I haven't tried a pair, but I've just kind of tossed one up either in front of the kit or kind of back in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've kind of messed with just taking that mic, maybe putting some compression or something onto it, blend it into the mix. Yeah. But then again, I'm, I'm also not the best <laughs> mixing engineer. It's like, yeah, you know, this is another thing. It's hard. We're all like we're having to train our ears in a in a different way now. But you just reminded me of because uh, like the little room mic trick that I've been doing is something that uh, uh, Grady Saxman, who's a great Nashville drummer and engineer, talked about a few episodes ago. Which was and maybe you've tried this already, but like putting um, a mic really close to your drums but facing away from them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, like, either the mic can be facing, like, a flat wall or facing a corner or something. Okay. So, I've I've got a mic, like, right under my left side cymbal, basically, but pointed towards the corner of the room, which the corner is probably, I don't know, five feet away. Um, right. So, Grady was talking about just, you know, now you're getting, like, double the distance between your drums and the wall. Um and then just put some reverb on that mic. And he said he talked about using a 57. I'm using like an Audix i5. Um, yeah. But it's a it's a pretty cool like hack to get some some room sound in a small room. Yeah, I never thought about that because that's the other thing. It's like I don't have a lot of depth in the room to to throw up a mic. Right. Right. And actually, that's an, another problem I've had uh, trying to do video. You know, either for some projects or even just to try to create content, trying to get a, a good shot you know, in a tight distance is, uh, yep. not easy. Yeah. I'm facing the same problem in my room and I'm super critical of like my own background, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't think I need to be because a lot of videos on the internet, like the rooms are a mess. Um, right. And they sound great. Um, but, uh, so the, you posted something recently about doing a session for, uh, a video game. <clears throat> yeah. Um, that's actually one of a few projects I've been doing for a composer that I've met recently. And um, he does some stuff for Disney Channel. He's does, he does a lot of video games. He does a lot of mobile video games. Um, and he's, So all uh, of these drum mixes that you're putting so much time and effort to are going to be heard on someone's phone. Uh, on someone's phone. Well, I'm not even mixing them, but I, I send them to. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, send, them, send them the files. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's funny too because that one that I posted the other day, I asked 
him. I said, hey, is this cool if I post? Actually, they wanted a video because the, the game company wanted video of the guys that were recording because they're putting together a little video montage um, featuring some of the people that have worked on the project. So I made this video for my composer friend, and then I uh, asked him, I said, hey, would you mind if I posted this online, you know, just to be nice and ask for permission? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He goes, he's like, oh, yeah, that that track was already released, you know, in some expansion pack. And like, okay, cool. Um, Sometimes you never know when stuff projects you do where or when they come out or yeah, if if ever. Right. Um, So um, I got some more stuff for that same game coming up. It's come just stuff comes trickling through. Yeah. I haven't played the game. I don't know what it is. So right, you don't even know I, what the game is. Like I knew, I knew the name of the game, and then I said, you know what, I'm going to find it. I found them on Instagram, so I could tag <laughs> tag them in the post. <laughs> so you have no idea the characters, the uh, object, the like. No, I'm not much of a gamer. Me so neither. I would, I wouldn't know. Me neither. Maybe like maybe your daughter will sort of test drive it for you. Like, yes, she's very tech. She has two iPads now. You know, she's got her her, her personal one, and then her one for school jesus so yeah like you've got your desktop and your external for work and she's got like her school laptop or her school ipad and her fun ipad that's great yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. kids these days sort of long relationships with um other uh composers and arrangers uh who are mm-hmm. la based uh and notably i'm, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, mike barone and uh yeah. jeff stradling um, right and i think you've done quite a bit more recording with stradling um yeah i i played in mike barone's band uh and you used to sub for me in that band yeah uh mike loved you you were you were on you were on the safe sub list of that band. <laughs> i'm glad to hear that yeah. Um, cause he was so particular with his drummers. He, you know, you'd send a guy in for a sub and he'd be like, no, oh, don't ever send that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd say, Mike, I got it. And I rarely missed rehearsals cause I knew he, he hated it. Right. Know? Right. He had his, he had his core group of guys. Um, but I'd be like, Mike, I can't come in. But you know, Zach said he was able to come and he's like, Oh, oh okay. All right. Right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I did Mike's band for about five years we did two records mm-hmm. yeah not so much recording with mike um lots of gigs at the lighthouse in right. hermosa right and typhoon uh, and typhoon rest in peace oh yeah yeah um but so for those but, who don't know like mike barone you know i wasn't hip to him before i got to la even though yeah. i had definitely heard his music before like talk about where he came from and what he did well, for many years, he, well, he's a trombone player, but he's, I guess, best known for his writing and arranging. And he played and wrote on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson for many, many years. Right. And whenever guys would come in, like guest artists would come in, he would always make the arrangements for the band. 
Um, and for years and years, he always had a band in LA of basically all those, you know, great LA session players. Um, there was this place Dante's they used to play at in, I think it was in the Valley. And it was like, they played there for a decade or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then the gig starting that wouldn't in the, die. starting in like the sixties. Jesus. So yeah. And then he, he was on hiatus for a while, but then he kind of got the band back together. Um, I got in through this trombone player, Charlie Loper, who was a big heavyweight studio I, yep, guy. I remember him. Uh, I had done some other band with him, and I guess uh, Mike was looking for a new drummer, and Charlie was like, hey, you should get, bring this guy Adam in. And then I came in and did a rehearsal, and of course I knew a bunch of the guys playing in the band. You know, he had some of the younger guys in, so I knew him, I knew I knew some of them, and I played in there. Man, this band's good, and this charts are tough. Yeah. And he, and he really demanded, like, a high level of playing. Well, plus you had to just you know be on your toes because the charts were difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But it made it really it made it really fun too. Right. And um, so a lot of his charts are like super high energy, super complex. Uh you know, it was the fucking Tonight Show. It was Doc Severinsen and um and uh and he also arranged like I will never forget I um was subbing for you in that band one time and he called up, you know, number 1237 or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And I pulled it yeah. up and um I don't man, I wish I could remember which tune it was maybe it was shawnee or something but yeah. like i made this connection that like holy shit this is one of the tunes on the burning for buddy album oh yeah and this is the guy that did it and i'm in his band right now oh my god <laughs> i i think it was after playing in his band for a few years he posted we were friends on facebook and he posted that he like years ago, Phil Collins did a big band record. I don't know if you <laughs> right. remember this. Right? Yes, I've played some of those and, charts. Jesus. And <laughs> he he apparently arranged like Studio that's oh, on the wow. album. That's and I'm nuts. like Mike. That's pretty cool. because <laughs> <laughs> he posted like a link to the video, and I was like, oh, I remember when this project came out when I was like a kid. Uh, and and now I'm playing in the band where the guy that arranged it. Right. He also wrote some some stuff for Buddy's band. Uh, there was a tune we recorded on a second album that I did with him. The tune was called Mr. Humble, and he wrote it about <laughs> Buddy right, being, right. being Mr. Humble. Yeah. Because uh, he was, you know, such a nice and caring, charismatic guy. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's it was even a case where he had this tune that he'd written years ago, and then he always would, like, re-edit his tunes. Yeah. You know, he'd, like, he'd write and revise, and he'd bring them in, and we'd play them down, and then he would be like, oh, this is not good, and um, you know, finally work it up to a chart. Right, um, right. And yeah. so, so the other guy, uh, Jeff Stradling, um, has, yeah, yeah. has really had quite a career in, in L.A. Um, and uh, sounds like afforded you a lot of opportunities to uh, to perform and record. Um, so talk about that that relationship with Jeff. Um, Jeff, I originally met Jeff. I was working with a gal named Jennifer Hall, who was a Barry Sachs and woodwind player. And she had inquired at Cal State Northridge, where I was at school. They said, hey, we're looking for a rhythm section. And somehow I got connected with her. I was doing gigs with her. And then Jeff was the pianist in this other project she had. So I guess I met Jeff there. I can't even know when, like mid 2000s, mm -hmm. early, some mid, mid to late 2000s. And we hit it off because we actually lived really close to each other too. 
um, up in the valley. So he was uh, called me out of the blue one day. He's like, hey, I've started a big band and uh, I want you to come down and play. And same thing. He writes really intense, some difficult charts. Um, and I went down and played and we hit it off and I played in his band. It's kind of been on hiatus for a while, but I've pretty much been the only drummer in his band. He talks about recording an album, um, but it's a big feat to do a big band record. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in addition to his band, it's it's the Strad band, right? That's the Strad band. Yeah. I mean, that's just and, and that's just one of the projects I've worked with him on. Because like, like you said, he did a lot of uh, television and uh, composing like that. Mm-hmm. I worked um, one of the first gigs that he was working on that he brought me on to was the Mad Men. Yeah. Um, which I did about a season and a half of drum. It's ironic. Uh, my friend, former teacher, Joe LaBarbera had done some sessions before that. Wow, so that's so cool. When he called me and he's like, Hey, we're going to have you come in and play. I was like, Oh wow. So, um, before that I had done a few random, you know, Hollywood type sessions for people. But to, to, when I did that and, and the sessions were very relaxed and low key, you, you would never think that was for this like super popular show mm-hmm. at the time. But it was kind of cool to be like, oh, I'm actually playing on something that's, that's got a, a little thing. bit of wo- <laughs> got a little bit of weight to it. Right? And then, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you say that, and people are like, oh yeah, I like that show, or I, I watch it. Right. Or yeah, um, I've, I've I've heard of that. That's a thing. I know. I've that. heard of that. So he was working. He wasn't the composer, but he was like an orchestrator, actually, kind of a ghostwriter too, hmm. um, for the uh, that composer that worked on that show, who actually did some other work with as well. Um, but. Uh, that was a while ago, but then Jeff, uh, recently he's been doing the golden globe awards. Right. Um, well actually years ago, I actually found the files on my PC the other day in 2013, because I remember seeing the folder. I did the SAG awards. He did, uh, 2013, just the one-off. I don't know why I forget. I think Bernie Dressel was playing it, but he couldn't make the session or something. Yeah. So I ended up doing that one. But fast forward. Bernie Bernie years. had to go play real loud at Joe's Great American Bar and Grill that night. Couldn't make yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I was right down right down the street from my old place in Burbank. Actually, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I interviewed yeah. Bernie. I don't know two years ago or something. And God, what a handful yeah. he is. Yeah. <laughs> what a dude. He's, he, he's the guy. He's yeah, man. Been, been doing doing it all. But uh, so Golden Globes. Jeff uh, had been working on them for many years as like an orchestrator and then the main composer retired a couple of years ago and then he kind of got bumped up to be the um, main composer. And then also he got to pick who he wanted to be in his band uh, for the sessions. Yeah. So uh, he, he's always been good with the, the younger guys. Like there, there's been a handful of, I won't say handful, a lot of younger guys in town. Not that I'm, you know, a younger guy anymore, but <laughs> you look great. <laughs> You look great, look, Adam. Um, uh, what was I saying? He uh, would, 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 you know, g- give us a shot on these gigs, you know? Right, right. He would see that, like, hey, you know, you don't need to call, you know, this guy to do the session when, you know, let's give these other guys a shot because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people that do that in the L.A. Right, right. The I very, think in, in L.A. tight-knit, tight-knit group of people. Right, in L.A. especially, there's, like, um, you know, for every role, for every chair, you know, there's a guy it's yeah. It, the, and that guy is a brand 
and is just the standard no-brainer go-to um, for right. so many things. But it's cool to hear that Straddling kind of you know bucked that trend a little bit and said you know there are other really great players here. Um, let's get and, them in. And, and it's interesting too because I won't name names because I was talking to a person on a session for like a TV thing. And I said, oh, yeah, I was was working. I did the Golden Globes. And and this guy said to me, he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of older guys used to do that gig. And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of other really talented people that are trying to get their foot in the door in this town. Right, right. You know, a different composer or arranger used to do that gig. Shit changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we're doing it again. I actually need to talk to Jeff because. We don't really. We usually record the the sessions like the week before the actual uh, Golden Globes show airs. Right. I was going to ask. So this is a pre-record thing. It's not like the Oscars where they have the live orchestra. No. No, and that's actually a friend of mine asked me too. They said, "Oh, you did the Golden Globes. Does that mean you do the Oscars too?" <laughs> I said, "I I wish." Right. Right. <laughs> I wish. Um, yeah, it's all pre-recorded. We go in. We've been doing it at this place called Sphere Studios in Burbank, which is actually like half a block away from Joe's American uh, oh, wow. bar. That's cool. On Magnolia, right there. Yeah. Um, we've done it. Yeah. Uh, basically, Jeff writes and composes everything. They're basically play-ons and play-offs, and if sometimes it's a theme from a show, mm-hmm. he'll write it, arrange it, and then like all of his keyboard parts are sequenced and programmed. Um, it's usually like MIDI strings and stuff. This is, you know, it's not giant budget. It's not full symphony orchestra. So, um, we go in there with, uh, I think there's five horns in the rhythm section and we just knocked out, I think it's usually between like 30 and 50 cues in wow. the day. Wow. And they're just, they just knocking them out like maybe get a run and they're short they're like 15 they're seconds a, or something right it's like <clears throat> they're a, usually like a 30 second loop doubled so it's like a 30 second uh cue and you just play it through twice right that way they can fade it in or like starts and they can fade it in and out whenever they want right but we'd like maybe hit, get to hear like the reference and then do a take yeah and then hopefully it's good or maybe like we did a take and there was a horn issue then the rhythm section they just keep the rhythm section go back and like punch the horns move on to the next one quick and dirty um, quick and dirty i mean it sounded great because you got uh you know you had a lot of great players right so. right like uh you know people and mentors the the other sort of major figure in your life that i think of and associate with you is is uh, greg bissonette um, right and right. so you've been working with him and for him for a number of years doing cartage teching um what else yeah um well we're friends yeah, yeah i was even, even thinking about it uh i've been working with him or i started i guess i initially 
you know, I started studying with him in like 2003. Mm-hmm. So it's been, you know, 17 years or so. Yeah. And, and it was about, I studied with him while I was at Cal State Northridge. Um, used to go out to his house. It was out in Westlake Village. And about 2005 or 2006, he called me up and he's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> if you've ever heard him talk, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's the sweetest, sweetest guy in the world. Hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, you know who does a great impersonation of Greg is uh, Chris Brady over at Aquarian. Oh, next my. Time talk, <laughs> next time you talk to Chris, <laughs> ask uh, him to um, – Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna get that out of him. I can totally see that. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. So that's kind of our thing. Whenever I call Chris, now I'm like, oh hey buddy, how's right. it going? Chris's Chris's <laughs> thing with me is, uh, you know, on the end of Joe's Garage, the little the little green Rosetta song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes a little green Rosetta, you know. And I'll I'll call uh, I'll call Chris, and he'll answer and go a little green Alberta. <laughs> You're that's a great dad joke, Chris. Anyway, yeah, no, he he's great. I, I love going over. You know, they're like fifteen minutes down the road yeah, from me. So yeah, I was, right there. I was love to go there. So uh so Greg, back to Greg. So like two thousand five or so, he calls me, he's like, Hey, you've got a pickup truck, right? <laughs> uh, and I, at the time I did, I had a pickup. And he's like, My dad, you know, does my cartage. His dad, Bud, did his cartage for many, many years. In fact, you know, when Greg moved to LA, his parents were still in Detroit, but they ended up moving to LA and then Bud was like, hey, if you're paying people to do your cartage for them, like, forget, you know, those, forget the company, I'll do it. Right. So um, I started working with Bud and we do sessions and, you know, go to all the studios in town and set up the drums and hang out. Um, he'd take me out to lunch and get a beer or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go back when Greg was done and pick up the kit. The kit. Uh, and I did that for many years up until Bud got sick. And he kind of stopped doing it. And then Bud passed away, I think it was about 2011. And he even, this is what Greg tells me. He's like, he said, Bud said, hey, you know, make sure Adam keeps doing the the cartage thing. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, most guys in town, you know, use a cartage company. Right. You know, like Drum Doctors or Royal Cartage. Um, But Greg has been, you know, loyal to me. I've been loyal to him. It's um, he just lets me know when something's happening and hopefully my schedule's open, which it has been <laughs> recently. Right. Or, or, you know, we'll find a way to make it out. And then I was even a little concerned when I moved down to Orange County, you know, cause everything's happening in LA, but it, you know, just, just kept doing it. Yeah. And, um, I've got his drums. I keep his drums at my place and keep them all fresh heads on them and they just live there. And then when it's time to go load up the car, go to the studio. We actually did a few sessions recently um, after a little hiatus. This last week we did like three gigs. Hmm. So um, it was nice to get back into some studios and see some other people. Yeah, yeah. So I would imagine especially uh, in the early going in in that yeah. working relationship with Greg, I mean, and, and all throughout, like you've gotten to be a fly on the wall for a lot of really cool <laughs> sessions. Definitely. Um, and so, I mean, what are what are some of the things that have kind of stuck with you over the years um, that you that you saw Greg do, whether from uh, a musical drumming standpoint or a technological studio gear <laughs> standpoint or a professional uh, sort of interpersonal standpoint. 
Well, he does a bit of all of that. Of course. I, I, yeah. I remember one of the first sessions I did with him. It was probably the first or second one I did. I, I was sitting in the room. He's, he would always be like, hey, come on, sit behind the drum set with me. He's, he asked, asked the engineer to get like a second set of headphones so you could like literally sit right next to him. Oh, cool. And he'd like, he'd like show me the chart. And uh, um, this tune, it was some pop tune. And I, I just, he was like slamming. He was slamming these backbeats and just the kick was just so heavy, intense. And I never thought about approaching drums. Well, like, oh yeah, I can play drums hard and play hard rock. But I listened to him like slamming. And then when you go on and listen to the playback, you can really just hear the intensity of the feel. I'm like, oh, that's how you get that sound. Mm-hmm. That big sound, you, just, you know, you got to, plus he has big, tree trunk sticks you know yeah he's a pretty heavy hitter even in softer i don't want to say softer styles but um the how do i put it the like, gentler side of greg the gentler <laughs> side of greg. um so but just just that being that confident and aggressive sound you know if you want to play like that that's how you get to get that sound across um right. i mean you say interpersonal side like greg's known for being one of the nicest guys in the world yeah and uh you know, when you're hanging at sessions or just hanging with anyone in general, his whole mantra is to like make the people that you're with feel good, mm-hmm. you know, make, make them feel, and actually and be honest, like you, that you're there, you're generally interested in, you know, their song, what it means. We were doing a session once years ago and he, I was doing the same thing, like listening to him or we had the headphones on and I was sitting next to him and he leans over to me. He's like, Hey, do you know what the lyrics to the song are about? And I was like, no, I'm listening to you play drums. I don't care what the (laughs) lyrics are. And he's like, well, no, this is what this, I forget what it was, but this is what the, the, their songwriters, you know, the message that they're trying to convey. And he's like, you need to take things like that into consideration you know, when you're trying to craft your part for the song, right. he's always about pl- playing for the song. That's yeah. his big, his big other thing. It's like, you know, playing responsibly, finding the right part. What would Ringo do? Right. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and um, yeah, like that's, that's such a cool, um, it's such a cool concept because, um, taking, um, taking stock of things like that, like, what is this song about? You know, bring, yeah. bringing those things into consideration might not, I mean, it probably won't change what you play, right? It's like, right. oh, I'm, I'm going to play, you know, three and a four E and instead of three E and four and a, like, it's not going to be that kind of change, but it's going to, it's going to change just your whole mentality and the emotional energy you bring into what you do. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The emotion thing. <laughs> um what other do you, bits? Have, you you kind of like took a deep breath and rolled your eyes like what's what's no the i didn't mean thing? i rolled my eyes you, you, i was gonna say emotions and then you when you said the emotion thing and i was like you you nailed it no it, it, um, it looked like i said it looked like you said the emotion thing and you were like god whatever whatever that is i'll never know <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh that's funny um, um so like when you're in your studio at home, mm-hmm. are there are there some things that you've um, sort of observed or like either in the sessions you've played or the sessions that you've been on with Greg? Um, for instance, like playing playing really hard and really aggressively to get that point on your sound, 
you know, yeah. that's something that's easy to do in a, in a big, nice room, but yeah. in a small room like ours, it can just, it can just distort and choke the sound. Right. So like, is there something that you've sort of observed or, or experienced in the bigger studios that you're having trouble translating in your room? Well, trying to get that big room sound. <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> yeah, just the other just the other day they were over at uh, East West Studios in Hollywood Studio Two, which is like the rock drum room mm-hmm. in town. Chili Peppers, everybody. It was like a rock and roll commercial for Del Taco of all things. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you go into this room when you want to slam hard and get that room sound. I mean, I don't know. I've I've gotten I don't want to say huge sounds, but I mean. I don't really have a problem laying in hard in this room, mm-hmm. you know, ask my wife how it sounds in the living room when right. I'm playing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure though. I, as far I don't know what you're asking, like a limitation. Well, yeah. Something, something that like something that comes easy to you in a, in a big studio that you want to be able to, to replicate in, in a smaller room. <clears throat> Because I would imagine mm. that uh, you know a lot of drummers are in your same boat right now, where they have some experience right. in bigger, right. nicer studios, and getting the right. same results in their smaller room might be hard, if if not impossible. Right. Well, I think one thing it took me a while to kind of figure out and mess with was how to get like a good mix in your ears, because I mm. like to hear drums, you know, pretty loud in my ears when when you know I'm tracking if I can. If you're at a, another session, you know, sometimes they'll have mixes for that, but spending the time to get like a decent mix in your ears, get your playback levels correct and get your uh, click levels and all that. Right. You know, when you're in a studio, a big studio where they got like a little mixer next to you and it's all, you know, the the assistant engineers, you know, labeled it all out for you. um, That's something that took a little figuring out how to do. Right. And, um, and that's something you do in your DAW, yeah, not your your mixer or your any any yeah, outboard yeah. kind of. Um, no, no, it's all all in the box, right? And and coming out my headphone, coming out the headphone jack. But again, with the iPad app, I can go back and kind of fine tune that. Yeah. So while I'm while I'm sitting, um, you know, behind the kit and be like, because and I, it took me a while to figure that out too, because I'd be like, oh man, I need to stop, get up, pull my ears out. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Don't bump. Plus, you know, you're in a tiny room, so you got to like squeeze in between the music stand and your <laughs> mic stands, and don't don't bump anything. Yeah, and neither one of us are small dudes, right? Like no, just just no. standing up could put anything in the room in danger. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like lots of studios have small drum booths. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's like I've been in a drum booth that's. I mean, the one at Capitol is maybe a little bit bigger than my room. Obviously, it's not you know treated like the drum booth at Capitol, right? But I've I've done worse, so yeah. Plus, I've gotten great results. Like I said, I'm not a great mix engineer, but I've gotten some stuff that I've sent to guys, and they mix it and they send it back to me, and it's like, wow, that actually sounds pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm experiencing the same thing. Like I was I was on the phone with uh, Matt, my my podcast partner today, and we were talking about like yeah. our processes and our results. And I was like, I'm I'm really happy and really encouraged by a lot of the results I've been getting. I just have mm-hmm. to learn how to get them faster <laughs> because right now my process is just a lot of time, a lot of trial and error, 
Um, right. and you know, I, where, where I eventually get to is, uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with, it's just the process. That's a, a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll get there. Yeah. Like I said, it's taken me a long time and sometimes I'll do something. And, and like I said, sometimes I'll just mix, try to mix something for my own reference just so I can listen to it back. Or if I'm doing like a video, a simple video that I'm going to post, like I, I could send it to somebody or pay someone to do it where I could just, you know, people are going to listen to it on their iPhone speaker on Instagram. Yeah. So yeah, it's not like they're going to be listening back to your, you know, drum cover on a hi-fi system. <laughs> you never <laughs> days know. Seem, days, days seem like they're gone. Yep. Even just saying hi-fi system sounds like an old timey thing. Yes. Very old timey. Let's listen to the hi-fi. <laughs> Let's listen to the hi-fi. Um, <laughs> let's let's listen to the president's Saturday address on the hi-fi. On the hi-fi. <laughs> it's in stereo, you know. <laughs> the snare drum of the week is the seven and a half by thirteen buyer snare drum performed by Nashville session drummer Mark Beckett. As far as uh, the other sort of uh, sustaining gigs that you've had over the years, um, there's there's two I want to talk about that that are okay. u- unique. Uh, one one is you, you and I are both Disney veterans, um, right? And you you did your stint sort of after I left town in, in a different band, um, right? So t- talk about your your Disney experience and uh, if you'd recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I had this conversation with a few people recently because actually. Like about a week ago was the one year anniversary of our show closing. Right. Actually, like like seriously, like four days ago, five days ago. So it kind of brought back all these memories where people would be like, Hey, what did you think about working at Disney? And I'd be like, hmm. Mm. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Uh I actually got the text from my sister who works at Disney in food and beverage for years. She's worked there and she sent me a link to our auditions. Um so it was like a cattle call audition. Yep. And uh, I walk in and, of course, uh, Matt Selby was there. Do you know Matt? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who I'd actually worked with, if we talk about show choir, I actually knew Matt from show choir. Cool. Pre-Disney. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Matt was there and a couple other people and I played a few things. And, okay, they're like, we'll let you know uh, about callbacks. And then so like a week later, they call back did another audition and then okay we'll let you know in like two weeks if you got the gig or not then like three weeks go by (laughs) and i know and i and obviously i knew a lot of other musicians that worked there and other people i worked with that had had auditioned and some people like oh yeah i got a call they said i didn't get the gig or yeah they said this guy got the gig this trumpet player got the gig Hmm. i'm like oh man i don't think i got the gig um and i was actually doing a pit show uh guys and dolls with the uh, musical theater west oh cool a- and it was like intermission and i looked down and there was like the 714 there it is there you know, it is <laughs> voicemail voicemail from anaheim and right, it was casting right. and they're like hey we want to offer you this gig three days a week I said sure yeah 
So then and, I got and this on. Was a, did, this was a new band, right? It was like a new band, new show. New band, new show. Pixar Monic Orchestra. It was uh, it was a take on the Spike Jones and the City Slickers band. If oh, you're how familiar cool. with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Zane, and, and Christopher Utley. I don't know if you knew Chris Utley. Yep. He, he might have worked on Five and Dime with you. He did. But Chris, who is an amazing guy, sweetest, nicest guy, he um, had always wanted to do a show like this. And when the opportunity for them to put together like a seven-piece band with jokes and Pixar songs, he saw it as this perfect opportunity um, to like create this show that was going to be his baby. Right. Um, and it was. It was great. So we... Got hired, did all the onboarding, did like my three days of Disney, you know. Indoctrination. indoctrination. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, the the uh, Kool-Aid waterboarding. Yeah, it was fine. I was like, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting paid. <laughs> yeah, man. Just, just sit here and eat this up. Uh, <laughs> and did that. And then so we went into rehearsals for like a month. Um, and had to do choreography. I learned how to play the washboard. They wanted me to play washboard on a yep, number. That was the same in five and dime. It was the bane of my fucking existence. I hated that thing. I hated it. I don't I don't think they do that anymore. Oh God. The thing the thing with that, it's like they can't just go and play. You know, you can't just be like I think I even saw you play at like the the French market or something. You know, mm-hmm. you played like the jazz combo gigs. I always wanted to do that. Yeah, like, so like my my regular gig was with Five and Dime, which was like out on right. the street, and it was a clown show. Um, right. And then I would sub. That's what we called ours was a clown show. <laughs> I would I would sub over in New Orleans Square with like the Royal Street Bachelors and the Jambalaya right. Jazz Band, which was you know right. goofy costumes, but just like straight ahead jazz, playing tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you can't just do that. You gotta you know the drummer. In fact, when Pixar Monic came open that was like the only one of the only drum shows where there was like a sit down drum set yeah you know thing right because they they want you to dance around and you know be a part of the you know ambiance or whatever so that's why the one tune there was a washboard and you had to come out front which was fun I actually got really good at it i was surprised <laughs> at how good i got at playing washboard yeah I had a washboard solo seven <laughs> six washboard solos a day three days a week <laughs> For a year and a half, yeah, uh, man, I got good. Get it together. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a fun gig. Uh, it was a small group of people. Most of the shows there were cast several people deep. So, um, and there was some a lot of old friends. Uh, my friend Lindsay McMurray, who I went to college with, she was played trombone. Yeah, so it was kind kind of cool to kind of reconnect. Uh, or my friend Walt Simonson, who's a trumpet player, we went to high school together. Yeah, I know. I know all these, all these cats. Yeah, yeah. so. So for us to kind of not, I mean, we would see each other occasionally, but then all of a sudden now we're working together like all the time. Right. right. Um, that was cool. And then I was hoping it would kind of open up doors to some other jobs there at the park, but um, I auditioned. They had five and dime auditions and I went and auditioned and didn't get cast. Um so it was all right. And then just kind of out of the blue, after I've been playing uh, about a year and a half, they just came in and said, hey, show's over. Here's your two-week notice. Right. Thanks. Right. Thanks. So this was this was like part of my um, psychological experience at Disneyland was in, in addition to the gig itself, um, right. there was this constant um, fear and constant insecurity, uh, much of which was of my own making. 
Um, but right. you know, you're you're kind of competing with other people for shifts. Um, you yeah. know, so and so gets three days a week, and I only got two days a week, and or maybe right. I got more, and and whatever. So there was that kind of thing, and there was also just like the constant, um, you know, uh, uh, whispers of like, oh, I, I heard they're going to reduce our shows per week, or I, I heard they're going to cancel yeah. the show, or like maybe there's a coming. regrade coming up. <laughs> regrade. The dreaded, the dreaded regrade. Right. <laughs> but the, it got to the point where I'm like, well, I, sh- I do all my shifts. I showed up, I had three days, which were Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which was kind of a bummer because then I couldn't take gigs. You know, the other people had four days a week, and they had, you know, the early week shift, and they could still work uh the weekends right. that's another not to get it into the dark side um but it's like i made that gig a priority so i was like if they were going to regrid I, I still felt like i was very fairly secure you know in my job because right. showed up and did, did a good job i didn't have any reason for me to be like for them to be like well we're going to take your days away but that place operates in its own way they do what they want to do and right and so this is like the other thing i wanted to sort of talk to you about because you know that gig, whether you're at Disneyland or Disney World or, you know, I, th- I would imagine a cruise ship is, is um, somewhat the same. Um, you, yeah. are, you are part of a giant corporate machine. Um, right. And most musicians are not used to being part of a giant corporate machine. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, don't speak corporate language. And um, there's, you know, there's often attention there. And I know there was for me. I used to tell people, like, they're like, what's it like working at Disneyland? I'm like, it's like if Office Space ran a theme park. I have eight bosses. They're all telling me the same thing multiple times a day. And I live in constant fear. (laughs) Um, That that place thrives on micromanagement and middle management. Yes. Yes. So I, did I don't you, understand why to some degree, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, yes, there, there's a good reason why is because they're, you know, um, the best at what they do. Like, right. it's not by accident that they are the biggest, most popular thing in the fucking Entertainment world. Entertainment company. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, as a, as a, you know, stubborn sort of independent minded, uh, uh, hired gun, um, right. I, I often, you know, bumped up against the structure of that place. Um, right. d- did you have the same experience? Uh, not so much. I mean, I enjoyed having the steady work. I also lived, or I, I mean, I still live 15 minutes, less than 15 minutes down the street. Right. Um, so it was nice to have, uh, I guess a real job close to home, <laughs> yeah. you know, plus I had, plus I had, had the family, Yep. you know? They could come down and see me play. We all had passes. We had passes before I was working there. So come see me play or, you know, they'd surprise me, you know, at the last show of the day. And then we could just go hang out, have dinner. Right. So, I mean, it, it was work, but it was also like, I, I think it would have been more of a grind if you had to drive back to L.A. <laughs> every day. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know Walt Simonson, he lived in Pasadena. And I'm like, Pasadena to Anaheim three days in a row and like it's a grind right or you were you were in beverly hills right uh yeah but only by a block i tell people i live in beverly hills and they're like oh shit and i'm like no it was an 80 year old apartment in a sixplex like one block away from la cienega like (laughs) you know i always figured how you swung beverly hills on a jazz musician's salary (laughs) (laughs) oh man um 
but like the the other thing about about Disney um, was shit. I just lost it. I had another good point to make. Oh, the um, you know the the type of people that you interacted with. Um, yeah. cause you know, like the musicians don't really interact with the guests very much. Like we we perform for them, but we don't interact right. with them in the same way that the food and beverage people do or whatever. Um, yeah. but who we did interact with was like, you know, stage managers, assistant stage managers, all these people who right. are part of the infrastructure of the, um, performance aspect of Disneyland. And a lot of people who work at Disneyland work there because they they love Disney and they are right. these they are these sunny energetic optimistic bright-eyed people who are right. who are in it you know and I like I just in, in addition to the corporate structure of it all um, something that I sort of uh, rubbed against a lot of the time was just like the pure energy and, and optimism and, and happiness of all these people. Like I'd be showing up for my, you know, morning shift at seven or something, having just driven down from LA and I open yeah. the door to the break room and there's some assistant, you know, uh, showrunner there. It's like, Hey Zach, how you doing today? It's going to be a, you know, I'm like, I'm magical day. Yeah. It's going to be another magical day. And I'm like, I'm fine. I I'm just gonna, I'm good. Thank you. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little I, I much. I would agree that most of the musicians probably did not have that enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I, I, you know, we would play and there would be guests there. And obviously, you know, pass holders come all the time. Right. So you'd, you'd get to see regulars and, right. you know, or they'd come with their kids. And, you know, I, I did enjoy because some guys would like the, the set would wrap and they'd like run off stage as fast as possible. Right. And, you know, sometimes, or you can tell, like, someone's, like, watching you play drums, you can tell, or, like, they have a Zildjian t-shirt on or sure, something like that, sure. and you're like, hey, I'll go say hi to them, you know, because I'm a nice person. Right. And I, and I like, and that's part of the Disney thing. It's like, they want you to be, like, it's not like you have to go out and interact with these people, but, you know, you're supposed to be a friendly, uh, you have to make a positive experience for the guests. Totally, totally. And if you can do that by doing, just saying hi or something like that, it's... Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm too down on, on the gig and the Disney experience because for, for yeah. all of the frustrations, um, it really did, uh, put me in touch with, um, just, you know, the joy of music and, and the fun of entertainment and, yeah. um, you know, just like getting over yourself and putting on a show for kids, you know, it right. took, it took me a while to kind of get over that hump. But once I did, um, you know, I found the gig a lot more enjoyable. Mike Roach has said, if you're not f having fun playing at Disneyland, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, I love Mike. He's great. Yeah. Um, we, he was on my show, but he was on the other cast. So we didn't work together all that often. I mean, I saw him pretty often, but like not weekly. Right. Um, but yeah, cause he's been there. He was there for a long time. Yeah. God, what a player he is. Jesus. Yeah. Um, um, well, I, I ended up doing, I was going to mention on Disney, I, you know, I, that gig wrapped in last year, last September. And then I was like, man, what am I going to do? That Disney ship has sailed. And then like six weeks later, they called me and they asked me if I wanted to do their candlelight service. Oh yeah. It was like this, this big Christmas service they do on main street. Um, and normally they have like all the old timers come in and play. Right. Uh, um, and it's a full orchestra 
And I got a call from casting one night, and they're like, "Hey, we we want we need a drum set player." And your name came up. Your name came up a couple times, and I was like, "Well, that's cool." Um, and same thing. Chris Utley was the show director on that gig, um, so I ended up doing that um, with Lin Manuel Miranda was oh, the wow. narrator on that. Which How cool is cool. that? Yeah, and um, it's like a pretty special event you know it's a, a lot of people they camp out like all there's only four shows one weekend people camp out oh it's just all day one long. weekend it's just one weekend yeah it's a big and they have all these choirs come in i forget like 600 piece choir like all these like uh choirs and schools uh yeah. come together and it's a, it's a huge huge production so it was cool to do that and I just found out that, of course, that gig is canceled this year because Disney's still still not open. Right, right. Um, Man. In fact, I talked earlier today, um, I talked to a friend of mine uh, who was in the Green Army Men, and he's still like, oh, he yeah. had no, I- no idea when uh, that's coming back. God, Plus, that... they're, even off, they're even off for the holidays. So he's like, if they open during the holiday times, he still doesn't have a job. Right. Man, that Green um, Army Men thing looked like one of the more strenuous gigs <laughs> we, we shared we shared a break room well they had a break room actually we took their break room over and they moved them to a, the one next door to us so we used to see all those guys um who was it tom float yeah he was there he and was a matt um god what was his last name drummer who did that gig all the time yeah i know who you're talking about matt um anyway those guys did that gig like five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I mean, that was, I, I looked at some other gigs, like, you know, I would, when I was at five and dime, I would look at, um, you know, the tea party, which was, uh, just right. a, a big ass cover band and a big party, right. and huge drum set and full sound. And like, I wanted to do that band and it was like, shit, why can't I get in that band? But green army right. men was a band that I definitely did not want to do. And like, if you're, <laughs> if you're into the rudimental thing, if you're into the marching drum thing, that's like, that's right. your gig. Right, but it just looked. I was like, man, you got to play all the marching shit, and you got to paint your face green and wear that plastic like outfit. It just, yeah. man, <laughs> those guys are and earning got, their checks, man. And and you know, it got hot out there. Oh God, get hot. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I don't don't miss some of that. Right. You know. Right. Um, yeah, it was definitely. I think no matter what gig you do, like at Disneyland, there's. Uh, you know, it, there's, there's some better and some bitter and, and you just got to sign up for it. And, uh, you know, and like you mentioned, the steady work was great. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, it's one of the first times as a, as a, I mean, I've only done music my entire career. So to, uh, get a direct deposit with taxes taken out (laughs) every week, it was like, what is this? (laughs) Like I've never, and and, I didn't even get that because I only it was only like 21 hours a week, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I didn't even get any benefits or anything like that. But I'm like, man, this is, I mean, I can count on this money every week. Yeah. And then I could, you know, supplement it with everything else. Yeah. You know, I could do, do a cartage thing with Bissonette and a church gig and a jazz gig one other night and teach a student. Yep. And I, I'm actually doing pretty good.
other gig is just an interesting, weird, cool thing that I've never heard right. of anybody else doing. The show choir you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and this was at Burbank, uh, Burbank High School? Burbank High School show choir. Yeah, I mean, I've been working with them since maybe 2007. Yeah. Uh, playing drums and contracting their band. They hire a pro band. Um, I talked to the director a couple of weeks ago. They're all in virtual learning. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, since school came back. So there's no live gigs on the horizon. Normally right. there's like a, normally they do like a fundraiser in November and then Christmas shows. I think I subbed for you on one of each of those things. <laughs> Probably. Uh, but, um, the night, yeah, night of magic right, fundraiser. Gig. Right, right, right. Um, so that gig, like, I remember you telling me uh, this program at Burbank High School, um, like the 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 show Glee was like based off of this program or at least off of this type of program. Yeah, yeah, loosely based around that because um, they they've been nationally recognized for like over twenty years, even before the guy that's been there now, um, Brett Carroll, is the director. Who's amazing? Like yeah. one of, he can he can make like any blog group of students. Like he knows what to do. He knows the exercises. He knows what to tell them, and they sound amazing. That's cool. Um, and he's even highly sought after for like clinics. So he does his you know school thing, but he also flies around the country and does workshops and clinics. Right, and this is like a highly competitive, aggressively funded. I mean, the same as like yes. marching band competitions. Yes, there's this yes. show choir circuit that that certain schools uh, are heavyweights in. Some, some in California, but at most of it's in like Ohio, Indiana. Uh, he's from Indiana, Chicago, um, Midwest. Right, and uh, you know. They do regional competitions, and every year we'd go out of town to do a competition. We've been to New York uh, twice. We've played at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Most people would say I talked to a friend of mine who was a songwriter from Nashville that lives out here. He's like, "Man, people would kill to play at the Grand Ole Opry." I'm like, "Well, I did." But- <laughs> With a, played, with a high school choir, baby. I played a twenty-minute competition set. Right, right. You know, um, we were supposed to be in Chicago uh, in March. In fact, the kids—they'd flown all hundred kids out to Chicago. Oh my uh, god! And then the competition got canceled, and then they were scrambling to get everyone back. Oh fuck! And we were supposed—that was like Wednesday, and on a Friday we were supposed to fly out for the gig on Saturday. Yeah, that didn't didn't happen. Oh my god! What a drag! Yeah, so I, I'm assuming. I don't know. I, I'm still open to do it. I don't know what's going to be on the horizon. I mean, the bulk of that of the show choir season is in the springtime, so we'll see yeah. what's happening. But but even then, I don't I don't know if going to competitions on buses and going out of town is going to be a right thing. Right. Um, so COVID. over over the years, like, what are some of the ways that that gig has uh, challenged you or or surprised you? Because there's there's some stuff about it that's you know like playing any other musical or um, right. you know any other sort of not necessarily a session, but just one of those gigs where you have to have a bunch of shit together because it's one song to the next and they're all different and whatever. But you know, it's it's kids. It's this weird sort of Christopher Guest like community of. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, of this competition well, environment. Um, so yeah, like talk about a couple of the ways that that gig has, has just sort of stretched you. Uh, dealing with choreographers <laughs> can be very stressful. <laughs> that's the first thing that I think about. Right. Is it's like, no, no, that's not the what you're supposed to be playing. It needs to be like this. Uh, okay, well, you know, trying trying to listen to people, uh, they don't know how to articulate what they want you to do. Right. You know, especially when it comes to choreography and and they want certain beats accented and you know they're throwing their arms in the air one direction. You need to hit the symbol here. You need to do that. And right. sometimes it's it's hard to decipher, you know, what they want and put that into terms, uh, you know, musically. Right. Uh, what you want. Um, so that's always a challenge. Um, and it's different every year. You know, sometimes when we went to, well, we did a show, a tour to Toronto with the show and it was all this electronic music. It was like their dubstep show back when dubstep was a thing, (laughs) of course. And it had, and it had, uh, a light had a, you know, pre-recorded tracks and a light show that was all in sync to each other. So, wow. You know, trying to just—I mean, which wasn't so hard. It's, it's like playing to a track, but you just got to be really focused. You know, staying on top with the track. I mean, this is the kind and, of shit that, like, you know, Brad Paisley's drummer talks about having to deal with. Um, yeah. You know, but you're you're <laughs> this show choir is <laughs> high school show choir is doing it, man. Well, they, with a lighting budget, a sound and lighting budget. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, the boosters made but, sure of that. Right. <laughs> But other times it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, like I said, I've been contracting the band too. So there's like a core group of guys that I've been working with for a long time. Um, sometimes some guys can't make it and that's what makes it hard mm-hmm. <laughs> to like find a trombone player or something like that. Right. And so, it's, and it, or, or finding a sub drummer for that gig actually was one of the other really difficult things. Really? Um, In LA? I mean, it seems like a, a number of guys would be very capable of that gig. Yeah, you'd think so. I always <laughs> seem to have a hard time. Maybe I don't know enough guys. Um, Maybe. Or I'd have like my I'd have like my regular like list of guys. And I'd, yeah. If they weren't available, then I'd be like, well, what am I going to do? Mm, yeah, yeah. Plus they were a little kind of particular, you know, or like, oh, that guy, just like Mike Burns, like, yeah, that guy came in, he was okay, but. Uh. Right, right. So yeah, they you know, narrow did, down the list for you. <laughs> Yeah, like they didn't sound like you. (laughs) What can I say? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I don't sound like him either. We're not the same person. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I understand what you mean about just, you know, uh, various directors and choreographers getting very married to, um, you know, certain certain people and certain ways of working. Um, Or, Or a lot of times... The, they used to have a composer that would do a lot of mock-ups and this is would be true for like a like a producer in a session you know they they did their midi mock-up drums and you know the kids rehearsed with that for two months before they actually brought the live band in so it's right. like well on the recording it sounds like this and you know you play the fill differently um you know it throws them off so then you got to make sure you're either referencing the recordings and transcribing the part you know. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're touching on kind of a, um, a a thing that happens in in musicals as well. In my experience, which is that you know performers or directors or uh, choreographers will really latch on to certain things 
um, mm-hmm. in the music that to, to your musician's ears, to your drummer's ears are, um, you know, superfluous or insignificant or they just go right. by. Um, right. but there's, there are just little sounds and little moments in music that, that non-musicians, um, for whatever reason, uh, latch onto and kind of use as one of their guideposts. Right. And if you, if right. you take it away because you think it's, uh, whatever, then their house of cards just collapses. <laughs> right. Well, but at the mean, it, uh, what, what I'm trying to say is like, on the other hand, that's your job though. It's your job right. is to be there to, Hey, you, we want you to play it like this. Okay. Yep. I can play it like that. Totally. That's what you're, that's what you're paying me to do. Right. So. Right. Are there um, any are there any shows or styles? I mean, you just mentioned a, a dubstep show. Like, have have there been oh, yeah. shows where you've had to like really shed a particular style that that you just weren't uh, up on or wasn't part of your bag? Well, it was about two years ago. We did a ma- Master of Puppets, Metallica, <laughs> t- and typical show choir, like twenty five BPM faster than the. Uh, oh original. Jesus! So it's like. <laughs> Not that it was particularly difficult, but you're like, oh, okay, maybe I need to go back and listen to, you know, what he's playing and, and, and you know, cop cop these licks. Right, uh, right. Learn how to rush the fills. Right. Oh, it's Lars' joke. Uh, Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> um, or one year we did uh, a tune from the Moana soundtrack that had a bunch of layered percussion. A tune from the uh, what so soundtrack? Mo- Moana Disney movie. Oh wow, Jesus! Moana. I'm not you have, even hip to this. If you had this. a daughter, if you had a daughter, you'd know all about it. I, yeah, I do not. So I, I do not. Um, actually, really good music, but but it had this uh, um, layered drumming thing. So we had a percussionist with us, so we had to figure out a way to kind of like cop the sound of this uh, um, track. So. I don't. I don't. Wouldn't think anything's definitely particularly difficult, but you just got to spend the time, like, right. getting the sound, getting the vibe. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope. Uh, I hope that's back up and running before too long. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. We we all say this. Like, God, I hope we're. I hope we can get back to work soon. But, um, you know, I, I still want to be careful. Like, I almost don't hope we get back to work soon because I don't want to go back to work until it's really safe and and until we're really over the hump you know so i don't want to contribute to uh spikes <laughs> yeah i had a, a drummer friend of mine through dixon drums because I, I work with them um he's another artist with dixon and he's a uh, does a lot of country drumming and he's out in austin i believe and mm-hmm. he basically and he has the same thing he's got a young daughter and he decided he's like you know what i'm not because they they were still playing shows out there and everyone's cri- packed in these clubs and he's like, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that right now. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I did a couple things. Uh, you know, I did like a live stream gig recently in an empty theater and an outdoor wedding. Mm-hmm. So that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like slowly kind of trickling back. But as far as big live gigs, I don't know. I do a lot of theater too. So I don't know when any of that's going to come back. Right. Yeah. Um, We'll see. We'll see, man. But in the meantime, it, it looks like you got a good, you got a good setup there. You're getting great sounds coming out of there. And, uh, it's, it's good to see you, uh, sustaining because of the, you know, the relationships that you had before they're continuing into this, into this new world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 good to see, you, man, and, and thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been uh, a pleasure. There you go. Great drummer, sweet dude, Adam Alisi. Thanks to him for hanging. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Jason Cooper of Memphis, Tennessee, who balances a busy remote recording schedule with his day job as an x-ray technician. He is certainly not the first working drummer we've talked with for whom drumming is one of multiple careers, so that should be cool to hear about. Hope you check that out, and until then, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.